welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with David Pettifer from Board Wreckers, Inc. David is a first-time game designer with his title, Drags to Riches, which was developed alongside members of the drag community. Drags to Riches recently funded on Kickstarter. David, welcome to the bench. How you doing? Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Oh, it's awesome having you. Uh, man, uh, this <laughs> is a fun-looking game, and I want to congratulate you uh, first and foremost for funding for a first-time uh, developer, first-time Kickstarter. That's a great accomplishment. More people fail than actually fund, so, uh, so way to go on that. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It feels very validating, actually. It's 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 nice to nice to see that people believe in 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 the project and the idea. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. So you've been board gaming for uh, a number of years. I saw in your bio. When would you say you started in the? I would call it the hobby industry because pre-hobby industries like Monopoly and all that kind of stuff. But kind yeah. of hobbies when people get into Catan and later on. Um, when when did that start for you? Yeah. Well, I mean. I think my actual journey with games that were slightly off the beaten track was Pokemon cards back in the nineties. Okay, like, nice. um, you know, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get any of my friends to play, play it with me, but my mum would play it with me. Everybody just wanted to collect the cards. I actually wanted to play the game and none of my friends did. Um, but, uh, and even then I started making my own sort of like clones of Pokemon cards as a game, like a, oh, a cool. sleeve of Pokemon, but I, I can't, I can't promise that it was a very good game, but um, yeah. So I guess uh, the more recent indie games hobby, I think it was um, at university. One of my friends uh, he he introduced me to Dominion, which is obviously a deck, deck the, the granddaddy of deck. I love builders. that game. One of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was awesome, and it, and it was cool to play something that nobody had ever really knew amongst my friends. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I I got into that. Um, and then actually I was a big fan of the oatmeal, uh, the comic series. Um, and I was one of the backers of, uh, the exploding kittens Kickstarter mm. campaign, which is obviously, you know, has, uh, an, yeah, yeah. <laughs> has an amazing history, um, and brought tons of people to the platform. So I was, I was one of those who'd never heard of Kickstarter before until then. And I think that really sort of, um, awoke my excitement in, uh, new, new, exciting games that are out there and coming out, and um, yeah, it started from there, I'd say. So, when did you? Uh, may I ask, what do you do for a living? What, what's your kind of day job outside of this? So, uh, <laughs> I've had I've had a weird career trajectory. I'm not even sure it's a trajectory at this point. But <laughs> um, so, I actually was doing a PhD uh, a few months ago, which oh. I decided to quit after uh, had to give my thesis because. Um, I, it just wasn't the right thing for me. I, w I wasn't enjoying being in academia. Uh, I was studying chimpanzee behavior. So I spent, uh, I've spent a, a year living in Cote d'Ivoire chasing I, chimpanzees around. I think I do that on YouTube on a daily basis, but go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that, uh, which, which I loved and I loved, uh, uh, that aspect of it, the field work, but uh, right now I work as a data analyst, which I also really love because, um, I, I just enjoy data. I enjoy messing around with it, uh, creating things. I actually spend a lot of time creating beautiful charts uh, to show to clients. So yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. And then when did you first start kind of digging into, like you said, you're, and I think a lot of people do this, right? Is when they're younger, when they first kind of get interested in maybe creating something of their own, they'll usually take something that exists and say, I'm going to do my own spin on this. Either I'll do house rules 
or maybe I'll create it with my own custom cars. I mean, when I was a kid, my friends and I, we created like nuclear warheads for risk, right? So we added nuclear warheads to risk that you could, you could get in the game and so forth. So, I mean, I think a lot of us do that, but then the next step from there is saying, okay, I'm actually going to create a game or have an idea for a game. Was this the first game you created or was there other games, ideas that you had you worked on before uh, Drags of Riches? Yeah, so I guess this is my first real, the one where I actually, you know, properly gave it a go. Uh, obviously, there was that, you know, uh, Pokemon thing that I made years and years sure. ago, but it wasn't like a real serious thing. But this was the first time where I actually was like, here's an idea. I'm going to have a go. I'm going to invest it in trying to make it. Um, and so that was probably maybe five, six years ago when I actually, when the, the, the sort of genesis of the idea um and um it was actually a friend who suggested the drag theme one day when we were sort of bored uh, watching tv thinking mm -hmm. oh we should come up with an idea for a game um and just so happened they were watching rupaul's drag race uh which is obviously you know a phenomenal tv show it's, it's done incredibly well all over the world um and yeah and i was like oh my god drag that's a great idea and i could think of a really good mechanic that would fit that so uh i went uh, bought some blank cards and some sharpies um started writing numbers on some cards with you know little bits of text took me yeah. hours and um we we had a go and it was rubbish and i was like no it wasn't worth it <laughs> put it in a box hid it under the tv stand and didn't see it again for many many years oh, wow. um because it just it was just broken and i i, I think I, I was just so demoralized by the uh, monotony of having to write on all those cards again yeah. I just I just couldn't bring myself to do it so um it was actually um when I was coming to sort of the natural end of my PhD where I was like well I'm, I'm not enjoying this I need to uh I need to find some skills for outside of academia because I've been studying basically my entire life um I went and did some business courses at the uni really enjoyed that and I said you know I want to do more of this what can I do and they said well uh, the university will give you a small bit of money uh, if you've got a cool idea. You just have to go and apply for it. And it's sort of there to give you a kickstart uh, and get that idea off the ground. They're like, have you got any good ideas? And I was like, well, I did have this one idea. <laughs> it didn't really work, but I've been wanting to go back and revisit it again. They were like, go for it. Why don't I apply for the money? So um, I managed to get a small amount of money. Um, I managed to find an artist online, which is what I really needed the money for because I'm, I'm not an artist at all. Yeah. I, I, the artwork yeah. is great, by the way. Uh, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All, all kudos to, uh, to my artist who's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, his name's Greco Westerman. So uh, everybody should check him out on at Greco Via on, uh, on Instagram because his art's brilliant. And if you're yeah. into movie monsters and dinosaurs, that's actually his MO. That's what he does mostly. And it's the reason I started following him because i'm a nerd like i love those things like yeah. i love sci-fi love dinosaurs and it was um it was a jurassic park versus reality comparison post he did uh because he loves paleontology and i come from a bio biology background so i love yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff as well and i saw that and i started following him on instagram and when it came to me needing some artwork i had no idea where to find an artist from so i just had a little scout around on instagram and i was like oh there's that guy i've been following i should have a look and i had a look at his page and i was like the colors are amazing mm -hmm. and they show drag they, they show they show color in this like amazing beautiful way lots of vibrant color but without being garish and that's what i was really worried about was that yeah. I, I i wanted to, I, I knew how the mechanics of the game were going to work i couldn't really envisage the artwork properly because i'm not an artist but i knew i didn't want it to look so in your face that it, it didn't it, it just didn't do it justice so 
I saw his artwork, saw the colors in it, and I was like, it, it, I think it could work. And then I saw he'd done a, an image of um, Doja Cat, the, the artist, and okay, yeah. it looked beautiful. And I was like, okay, if he can do that, he can do drag. So he was the first person I messaged. I sent him a, a little message just saying, look, I know you do commissions. Don't suppose you'd be interested in doing a game about drag. And he replied saying, oh my God, I love drag. I'm well up for this. <laughs> and, it, and it just, it turned out that he used to, so he's, he's Bolivian and he lived in Buenos Aires. Um, and he used to work in uh, gay bars that had a big drag scene. So he, he's brought so much knowledge and experience to it, which has been fantastic. So just the first person I spoke to and happened to be the perfect person for the game, really. So you got a grant to help you seed, then you're going in to do your Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, so the grant, so the grant yeah. basically covered the artwork costs, or or some of them, as I've been, yeah. I've, I've had to. It's play. a big cost for a lot of people, right? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, I know, I know your podcast is talking a bit about like the the business and the creator side of things. I think that's all right. Yeah. So no, I just wanted to just wanted to say that um, one of the things I did in terms of the design to try and keep the artwork costs low was I would have Greco. He we would design one of the characters. And then we would break down that character into constituent parts, which we'd use in the cards. Mm. So that actually most of the design costs were in the character and then a small amount of design cost in breaking it down. That's smart. And it just, just meant that, especially early on, because it meant we could create a lot of designs um, and get that minimum amount that we need. Uh, so that then, so then it's like, you know, completely visual, completely playable. And it just meant that, yeah, I could get there faster. And then now it gives us more opportunity to actually go back and revisit some of that and put in some more original artwork. So yeah, just, I thought that's a, a good strategy. If That is an happen. amazing point. So I'm just going to kind of pull on that thread a little bit more. Cause I, I think for our listeners that who are especially doing game design or looking at doing their own campaigns, I think that's a very important point that you don't necessarily have to go and commission every single individual piece you can commission some macro pieces that you create some of your smaller pieces out of, right? And that's yeah. a great way to try to save costs, especially for the original concept, right? That mm -hmm. uh, that you're gonna put out there. And then maybe if you overfund on your campaign, you can invest in doing even more custom work, but that will get you 90% there. Quite frankly, we did that on uh, our last two campaigns, right? We commissioned kind of key characters, key backgrounds, and then mix and match and taking components of this and that to kind of fill in the rest of the stuff that we needed. So that's uh, no, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, for so you're not actually a drag queen yourself, though, right? Or are you no. are you're not, no, no, okay. I'm not, not a drag artist. Uh, I don't have the skills, the talent, the uh, the career, charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, as, as they say. No, I don't have any of that, unfortunately. So definitely the charisma for sure. So, <laughs> how, how did you approach this? So, not being um, into drag yourself, how did you approach? making sure you got this right and that it was respectful to the community and that, you know, it was going to be uh, quite frankly accepted. Yeah. So it was, that was one of my biggest concerns was, yeah. you know, I had this idea for the game and I thought I could make it look beautiful, but actually, you know, I'm not a drag queen. So it's somebody else's art form and I didn't want to take it and do something with it where actually I didn't consult the community because like, you know, I wanted to make sure that they felt seen and, and actually one of the biggest things well, the biggest drivers of this, the idea for this game was, you know, creating something where actually LGBTQ plus characters are front and center, you know, and they can be in your living room, like, you know, my boxes up there for drags to riches. Yeah. So, um, yeah, what I did was I went to, 
I, I spoke to some drag queens online um, uh, and a drag king as well, who was who was really helpful, and they gave um, their feedback and time, and sort of said, you know, think about these things, try and maybe uh, think about your use of language, and make sure that although it's a competitive game, it could be thought of in more positive ways. Mm. So there was lots of stuff I did there to modulate things like that, um, and I also so I guess like one of my main consultants was um, a guy called Ricky. And Ricky is an angel. We love Ricky. He um, he runs a shop uh, local to me in Birmingham called uh, Sequin Showstoppers. And it's one of the only brick and mortar drag stores in the UK, as far as I'm, I'm aware. But it just means he has all the world famous drag queens coming through his shop uh, every, like all the time. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's very well co- connected and he just knows the industry inside and out. Um, so he's... You know, he's been there like offering advice, helping me connect with drag queens and getting their opinions on things. And it's, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been a really useful and important journey for me to, to go down that route. Um, and the other thing that's been brilliant as well is, is I've been able to actually give paid work to drag queens as well. So I feel like I'm, I'm communicating with the community and making sure that actually their voice is within this game as much as possible, but also I'm actually giving back to the community. And I think, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, one of the, um, the parts of the Kickstarter pledges is going to be a history of drag companion booklet, because that's cool. an, an, another thing I think is really important is about education um, and educating people about what drag is, because it's awesome, but it's got a really important history that um, I think, yeah, it's it, people who are playing, if they don't know, I think they should know. Um, so I've been able to uh, bring on a, uh, a writer who comes from uh, the LGBTQ plus community and they will be uh, producing that resource, um, which again is great because it means I'm able to give paid work to someone in the community that's going to yeah. pr- provide education uh, for hopefully a much larger market and hopefully people who don't know about drag and actually, you know, it will open their eyes to it a bit. So. Yeah, I was, I did some research, um, you know, leading into today. And from what I could find 1880, I think is the first time it was officially seen like drag was officially a thing in in the United States. I think it was in Washington, DC. Um, but there's quite a history, right? And when you go through the amount of intolerance that is kind of in misunderstanding, quite frankly, that's been, uh, over the years, it is, it's nice that we're at a place now, right? And unfortunately, a lot of people had to go through, you know, the tough times to get us to where we're at right now, where it's become a lot more mainstream. Right? Yeah, I think RuPaul is probably uh, Drag Race is probably a great example of that, right? You know, when you're watching on TV is when you first kind of got the idea for the game. So, I think bringing that into kind of the forefront has been uh, has been great, uh, definitely for this community. Yeah. Um, the video that you have in here. And your campaign is awesome. I encourage people to go watch it. It is it is hilarious. The uh, the drag queens and they're they're playing the game and they're getting upset when they're losing and so forth. Where did you film that? And who? Where did you get these uh, the the, the talent from? How did that all come together? Yeah, so that was filmed at Sequin Showstoppers, so this drag okay. store that I was on about. And as you can see, it's like a fabulous backdrop because it's just full yeah, of sequins, awesome. full of glitter. It's just the perfect place for it. So. Um, yeah, uh, basically, um, Ricky, the, the owner, he helped me find uh, four drag queens. Um, and um, 
we all turned up at a shop on a day with, and I brought a film crew along and they looked at the shop and they were like, oh my God, we've got some work to do in here. <laughs> they de- they destroyed the whole place and I felt so bad. They didn't destroy it, but they they rearranged it quite severely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, but one of the drag queens we'd uh, booked to come and do it, unfortunately had COVID. So uh, mm. they, they, the film crew and Ricky and the drag queens all said to me, I've got to get into drag. They were like, you need to do it anyway, because it's your, it's your game. Of course. And I, I, I'd, I'd always say, I, you know, I'd, I've, I've cross-dressed at, at times in my life, you know, uh, yeah. but not, I've not done drag as the art form, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I'd said whilst during this process, I was never going to do drag without being invited to by a drag queen. Cause I, I didn't want it to be disrespectful. I wanted yeah. them to welcome me into that art form as it were. So um, yeah, when they, I was, you know, as soon as they said, yeah, like they, they wanted me to do it, I was up really up for it. And um, luckily, one of them is an incredible makeup artist. So she was able to do my makeup. Um, Ricky, Ricky decked me out in some stuff from his shop. And it was, yeah, it, it was so much fun. Um, it was kind of weird being both an actor and trying to kind of organize the film crew as well. But I tried to leave them to it as much as possible because, I again, not a professional not professional drag queen, not professional uh, filmmaker. So I was like, right, okay, try and let them do their job and yeah, um, try not to manage it too much from the back. <laughs> In your research, is is there something that you found that, or I guess I say another way, what's one thing that is most misunderstood, do you think, in in the drag community for people that are not part of the community looking from the outside in? Yeah, I guess people tend to think of drag as being quite catty or, you know, it's all, all about uh, being savage to each other and being fierce. And, <laughs> and there is elements of that and it is a yeah. lot of fun. Um, and there are drag queens who are very, you know, that is their persona, but it's, but it is a persona. It's not the reality of, of what drag necessarily is. Um, drag is a, a, a form of gender expression uh, and an art form sort of combined. Um, and it's loving, accepting, it's creating families for people who unfortunately have been cast out of their family for being who they are. And I think, you know, yeah. drag, drag, it just, the most interesting thing about drag is it, it just, it has no boundaries. It really sort of defies definition. Um, and I guess like what the, the, the most surprising thing I found was when somebody came to talk to me and was kind of acting as a drag consultant, they were a male drag King. So that is someone who dresses as a, someone who is identifies as male and dresses as a man in drag. And it was, I, I, he was like, yeah, I'm like one of the only people who does that. <laughs> he was like, I don't know many others like me either, but I just love that it, it, it can just completely defy boundaries. And it's just about you expressing yourself in a way that makes you feel happy. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Like it really is. It's, it's a really oh. beautiful thing. Um, and when I got into drag, I felt like a completely different person and I loved it. I had a great time and I, I, I don't know, it just, it just elevates your mood and it takes you to a different place. So um, yeah, I, I, would, I would recommend trying drag to anybody who gets an opportunity. Certainly, I think there's probably parallels with um, the board game industry, right? Because there's a lot of love and acceptance in the board game industry and a lot of it is about community and mm-hmm. being yourself and uh, you know, being with others, not, you know, not worrying about anything other than just each other's company and having fun. So, yeah. And, think, um, and escapism as well, I would say, because sure. you get, you get to become someone different for an evening. Like, you know, you could be playing a pirate, you could be playing whatever, whatever, a, a yeah. warrior, uh, a drag exactly. queen, you get to become somebody that isn't your day-to-day reality. And it means you, 
your entire personality can be something different if you want to, especially if it's a role playing game or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think sure. I think there are there are interesting parallels for sure. So walk us through this game. Um, you know, for those I try to use descriptive language for those who are listening and not actually watching. Um, but how how do you play uh, Drags of Riches? So this is a deck builder, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you are a drag queen just starting out on the circuit, and um, you've got a wardrobe. Uh, which is your deck in this game and and that that wardrobe or deck contains some cards but they're all pretty basic it's some rubbish hair rubbish heels rubbish makeup things like that Um, and you can play those cards down and some of them will give you some money which allows you to buy better cards from the center where there's like a common market Uh, and those cards are much more fabulous Um, everything you buy everything you use it all goes into your discard pile or or in the terminology of this game it's your floor drobe uh, so once you try things on, it all you know ends up on the in a pile on the floor until you dry clean it again, and it comes back to your wardrobe. So essentially, you use up your wardrobe, you dry, you, you shuffle your your floor drobe, your discard pile, and it becomes your new wardrobe. So you're constantly adding cards to your deck, which will turn up later on in the game. And then to um, to win the game, every every round uh, reveals a new event, and that event could be worth a certain number of points. It could be worth could be a, a pageant worth five points or an extravaganza worth eight, eight or ten points. Um, and to compete for that event, you need to have played some of your cards face down in front of you. So this is forming what we call your look. Now, a look can consist of one hair, one heels, one makeup, one accessories, one outfit. Mm. Um, and at the end of the round, once everybody's had a turn, anybody with some look cards face down in front of them, uh, can put their hand out and on the count of three, either reveal a thumbs up or a thumbs down. If it's thumbs up, they're saying, right, I am going to reveal my look. I'm going to try and win that event on the table. You flip over your look, you compare it to all, all the other revealed looks and you see who has the highest score across the top, which is actually the, the cost of the cards when you buy them. Um, and only one of you will win that event, but everybody who reveals has to discard their, their look because mm. they can't they can't wear the same thing twice of course that would be outrageous <laughs> so uh, uh anybody who didn't reveal gets to keep their cards face down and yeah. add on to them in the next round maybe switch out a card that's not as good basically work on it a bit longer perhaps instead of you know going in for the three point event card that's available now waiting a couple of rounds for that seven points that they think is going to come up in the future so there's a push your look style element there about when to go in and when to hold back. There's there's bluffing because you don't know when somebody else is going to reveal at the same time as you. So it adds it adds a really nice dynamic, a little excitement, a little tension. That's cool. And when you first designed this game, you said it wasn't quite ready. There was something that wasn't kind of working. What was the major change that you made from that original design? And, and what was the aha moment for you that kind of brought together and kind of finish it off to what you see here yeah yeah so with that first one i mean it was just a complete dud so i don't even consider the next iteration of it to be an improvement i consider it to be like the first attempt really (laughs) like the first the first one where i actually thought about it a bit because um i put things in like negative like point values i was like well who would be buying those negative cards it didn't really make sense it was just one of those stupid things where you thought oh you know maybe we should do things like that it didn't really work but um I guess like for me, the biggest turning point was uh, it was actually the pandemic because mm. it, um, it, I, I had plenty of free time and I knew I didn't want to stay in academia. I was looking for these other routes. And so I was like, well, I will focus on this. Uh, I need to find a way of like, maybe there's like a digital way that I could create a prototype of the game. 
And I found there's plenty of software out there. And at the time I was using Tabletop Simulator. Um, and um, it meant that I could quickly and easily make a prototype without having to go through all that monotonous writing on cards, which I hate. Give me a yeah. spreadsheet all day long. I'm a data analyst. That's what I do. So um, it, I, could, I found a way to port stuff into Tabletop Simulator. And it meant that I could play test it with my friends online all over the world, all over the country in the pandemic where, you know, actually you couldn't get together and play games. Um, and I, I think that was a really important catalyst for me because it, it, you know, it forced me to think of a digital solution and do it. And it, it was so much easier doing it that way for me because all I had to do if I needed to change a card where I was like, oh, this is a broken card. I just type in something in a text box on Excel and then click save and, and that's it. And then I'd have a different card in the game. So um, that I think was my biggest turning point. What would you say is one of your biggest challenges in this campaign as a whole? Ah, do you know what? It's so hard building an audience. <laughs> so um, uh, as you and I were discussing just prior to this. Uh, There's a lot of challenges, right? Yeah. Like the, on yeah, every the, campaign. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges, but also I have I have my game comes with quite a specific Venn diagram, as as as, as you as you said, um, yeah. where I have the LGBTQ plus community, uh, gamers, and then also as you pointed out, Kickstart people who know Kickstarters, which I always assumed that most gamers did, but it's not necessarily true. Yeah. And it's about trying to engage that audience that sit in that tiny circle in the middle, yeah. um, which which is really difficult, and it is it's so hard. It's it's a graft and there's no easy solution and there's no cheap solution. Um, so, but for me, I found the most effective thing was in-person events, um, going to games expos, uh, doing demos wherever I could, just, just getting people to play the game or see the game it was yeah. so effective because everybody ignores adverts. Uh, unless it's rammed down the throat. And the only way you can ram it down someone's throat is with a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I'd spent years being a student. So <laughs> this is, now I've got a full-time job. It's the first time I've ever had actual money. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, you know, I was having to do everything in the low budget way. And even going to conventions can be really expensive. Oh, yeah. um, so look, luckily, a lot of them offer like an early first-timer uh, discount, which, which is great. And, you know, it, it definitely did help me get into them. Um, but yeah, even going to those conventions, just having a mailing list and asking people to sign up on it, even after they played the game, that was so hard. And people don't want to be on mailing lists. People are desperately trying to cut down on their, the amount of emails they receive, which is totally understandable. I do it all the time. I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I, this is no longer relevant to me. And so, so I come off it. So actually, um, I didn't feel like my mailing list was where it should be when I launched the campaign. Um, but I'd, I'd been preparing and planning with the idea that I would launch the game to coincide with the, the UK Games Expo, mm -hmm. which is which is local to me in Birmingham anyway, and it's like the biggest one in the UK. And it's it this year it had twenty six thousand people there across three days. So um, yeah, I, um, I I kind of I would always planned to do that, and it was getting close, and I was like, right, I am going to launch, even though I don't feel ready because. I, if, if it fails, I'll relaunch it again uh, after, and, and I'll have built some audience in the process. Um, but yeah, I, and I got, I got maybe 35, 36% of the way there after the first three days at the expo. And I was, I was happy with that. Um, I mean, I, I know conventional wisdom is you want to get as big, as big a spike as you can at that in those early days. And some people say yeah. you need like 60% 
funding to, uh, in the first two days to get onto the Kickstarter front page or whatever it is. But uh, I, and I, I know people who were in a similar situation to me who were cancelling their projects. Um, but I decided not to. I, yeah, I was like, one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I literally yeah. just pulled a campaign after forty-eight hours. We're like, this is dead on arrival. We had to yeah. yank it right on the game found, and it's like, okay, you know, it, it's such a challenge that the math is the math, right? And you know, you and I are talking just before we went on air here that, especially with a game that's got a lower retail price, it becomes infinitely more difficult to try to spend your way to the finish line, right? Through, through more advertising, more marketing, because you're at a point where your acquisition cost is getting pretty close to what your, your pledge cost is. And, yeah. uh, and that's kind of like, you're doing it because you want to get across the finish line. Right. And it, it is one of the toughest things ever to pull it. Kudos to you for sticking with it. Cause you guys got across the finish line and, uh, and funded well, well in this game. And now this game is going to get you know out to the world, which I think is, which is amazing. Um, it's interesting when you're talking with the, the email list, and I was talking to Joe Slack about this, is that what people have to realize when you build an email list, you have to accept the fact that every time you send an email, you're going to lose subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to spend money to get subscribers. And then every single e-blast you do, you're going to have people that are going to jump ship, right? And that's just part of the game. And man, does it ever hurt the first time you start experiencing that because it costs so much to build that list. And when people start jumping out, but that's the reality, you got to kind of work that into your math. Yeah. But again, I want to congratulate you on this campaign because you guys did get across the finish line and uh, the game looks absolutely awesome. What is next up for you guys? So like, are, are you, are you going to stick with the, the drag theme or do you have some other ideas or are you going to take a break or what's kind of what's next up for uh, board records? Yeah. So obviously my focus now is getting a, an awesome game, made sent to backers pleasing them that's that's the the key focus at the moment um i would love to do more things within the dragster riches ecosystem because i think as a brand it it it's got value there that you know there's plenty of stuff we could do uh and we only we're only really representing drag queens in this in this current game but drag is a huge family like i said before and i'd love to be able to represent other drag artists and drag performers um, from across the spectrum. So that's definitely something I'm thinking about. Um, and then for my next, I've, I've got a, a small minor game idea that would be a quick one out the door, which I might I might do between now, now and the next big one. But um, I'd love to work more with my current artist on, um, you know, on that movie monsters, dinosaurs, whatever it is, that thing that's actually, yeah. you know, fits really well within both our interests um, because I think, we could produce something that's going to be visually stunning with that. And uh, yeah, I'd, I've not got a solid idea there, there yet, but I'd say watch this space for some really cool artwork. Well, for anybody that wants to check this out, you can find it on Kickstarter. It has funded. Are you taking late pledges at all? Yeah, we will be. Um, yeah, I'll be opening up a late pledge manager. So. And will you do, you'll do this with a pledge manager, and I'm sure you'll have a link on that on your website, which is drags2riches.com. And two is the number two, not spelled two. So drags2riches.com. Check it out. Uh, David, I want to wish you all the best this coming year. Congrats again on this campaign. eh? Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. It's been brilliant. No worries. Take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge. 
and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.